Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of DMs of Vancouver. Today we're talking to Sherman Tommy. Um, how's it going, Sherman? I'm doing pretty well. That's great. Uh, and today we're talking about your Endless Realms Kickstarter, which is starting pretty soon. Yes, on April 24th of uh, next month. Excellent. So I guess first off, what is Endless Realms? So Endless Realms is the new tabletop RPG that we've been developing. It is... Basically, the brainchild of uh, my boss, Kirsty. Um, she's been kind of working at it for the over the last four years, and uh, hopefully, it kind of takes off and people really enjoy the system. Very cool. What kind of uh, game system does it use? So it uses a D10 comparative role system. So the only dice you actually make use of is the D10, and everything is rolled between two subjects, usually the player and the D- GM, but it can be between two players and so on. Essentially, we wanted to kind of make sure that players were always involved in anything that was happening to them. So even if you're, regardless of whether you're attacking or defending, you're still going to be rolling and kind of taking part in the situation. Okay, cool. Uh, I, I like that. It's um, I like kind of the older I get and the more I play, I like simplified systems where it's less, doesn't always have to be very complicated. Mm-hmm. And I like the sound of just, like rolling against each other and that's always how it works so you always kind of you know what you need to do and i think it's great for new players especially where you don't have you don't have to have the problem of like being oh uh which dice was that again oh it was this one okay and yeah you know all that kind of stuff i'm fairly certain like everyone at one point has rolled like a d12 by accident when trying to uh to make an attack roll in in dnd yeah overall we kind of wanted to make sure that the gameplay itself was as simple as possible so that you didn't really kind of get bogged down too much with trying to look through too many rules. Makes sense. What distinguishes Endless Realms, aside from the D10 rolling, what else distinguishes it from games like D&D or Pathfinder or any other games that might be out on the market right now? So overall, we um, kind of wanted to move a bit away from more kind of Tolkien-esque settings, not because we really dislike them, because Lord of the Rings was a fantastic book series, but we just felt like a lot of fantasy RPGs kind of tend to fall back very heavily on those sort of tropes. So we wanted to try and make a world filled with races that felt new and different, like things that you hadn't really seen before. So all of the races in the game are completely original to the setting aside from humans. So if you just want to play a human exploring a brand new world, you always can. But Aside from humans, the rest of the races are all unique and developed by either Kirsty or, uh, in some cases, Dan. Uh, also, the the other uh, kind of members of our team, Catherine. Essentially, we wanted to make sure all of the races felt different than humans and didn't really come off as being along the lines of humans with a slightly different flavor. Right. Yeah, because that is kind of the thing with D&D is that, like, Orcs are humans, but strong, and dwarfs are humans, but short and like money. Yeah, yeah. that kind of thing. We we wanted to make it feel as if each race had their own kind of place in the world, and when you saw them, it it makes sense that they are the way they are for the reasons that kind of come into play in their history and and their development as a race. 
Very cool. Is there any anything else beyond the the characters and the the D10 stuff? Or um, we've also been working on trying to make sure that the the classes also kind of felt new and unique. We do have a couple kind of mainstays that you've seen in many other systems like the Barbarian, but for the most part, we wanted to make sure that the classes also kind of felt like they had a place in the world. So instead of having things like clerics and and monks, we ended up going with stuff like shrine keepers, which kind of are are. Uh, kind of like a fusion of the two. So a lot of the classes kind of come off as as being, well, hopefully, uh, something that you haven't really seen before, or, or at least feels like it isn't something you've really seen before. Along with that, um, we've got three different writers, along with uh, Kirsty and Dan, all working fairly hard to make sure that the world and setting feels alive. Uh, we don't really use gods like in other games. Um, instead, we have spirits. And they're essentially, they they function in a sort of similar kind of sense in that they do gain power from worship and they do tend to come to represent something that is tied inherently to their power. But we wanted to make sure that they, f- they didn't feel more like the classical gods in a lot of other systems and were designed sort of with more of an animistic kind of theme in mind, similarly as seen in sort of Eastern kind of uh, religions. Right. So instead of there being a god of the forests, there'd be this town has their god of the forest and that town way on, on the other side of the mountain has their forest, well, spirit yeah. and, and and so on and so forth. Yeah. So you, you, you can have many different fire spirits and they all feel, they might have certain characteristics in common because they are a fire spirit but they've come to kind of represent fire in their own unique way. They have their own kind of persona. That makes sense. That's very cool. I like that a lot. One of the other kind of big key things is we wanted to move away from more kind of classical alignment systems. So instead of having good and evil or law and chaos, we wanted to do uh, more of a vice and virtue system. So basically the idea being that everyone has positive and somewhat negative aspects to their character. And so instead of being strictly one or the other they kind of have these playing into their character as different forces not necessarily opposed to each other but just different aspects of their character that kind of pull them in different directions right i really like that actually because i i personally have some problems with the way alignment tends to work in D and pathfinder and stuff like that and i i'm excited to see more kind of takes on something along those lines but that's not as uh, simplistic i guess yeah yeah, the thing I've seen most often when people are talking about alignment systems is most GMs seem to just straight up ignore it in, in D&D and Pathfinder because, well, at least in D&D, I'm not so sure about Pathfinder, but especially in 5th edition where there isn't a lot that interacts with alignment anymore. It's really more of a, like, it's it's slowly drifting into pure flavor territory, whereas, like, that idea of like they're trying in you saw this with fifth edition they tried to highlight more the like flaws and bonds and ideals and stuff so that there's like it's not a rule system it's more of a a flavor thing and is the is what you're talking about like are there is there like a rule in any kind of rule impacts for if somebody has uh like a specific flaw or 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 vice or anything like that Uh, yeah so there are um game impacts to them Uh, essentially if if your character is, for instance, greedy, and you come across a situation where that would come into play, you can always just choose to roleplay your character as they are and be as greedy as possible. 
but it could come to a situation where you you know as both as like the player and the character that being greedy in this situation isn't really beneficial but it still kind of pulls you towards it just because it's it's such a core aspect of your being you end up having to make a sort of a will save to basically kind of like resist your your more baser impulses so it's just a, a way of kind of keeping in mind how your character acts and also acting kind of as a, a sort of limit to what your character would necessarily do to try and like make sure people are keeping these sort of things in mind. Okay. I, I like that because that is one thing with with the fifth edition I found is that people will sometimes just not write anything down for like their bond or their flaw or anything like that because it becomes easier to just figure out over time what your character mm-hmm. is, whereas Having something like this where, you know, if you say at the start of the game when you're creating a character that your character is greedy, then not being greedy in a situation where, like, if you're making a deal and if your character isn't trying to wrangle every last ounce of gold out of a deal, then they're not playing to their character. Yeah, and in those sort of situations, like, their their base nature might get the better of them. It, it kind of helps to keep, kind of guide characters to kind of really think about who their character is and what they really want and kind of make sure they keep it in mind at all kind of times, you know? Yeah. I just like the idea that it's another tool for the DM's kit where they can kind of pull and affect characters more based on their personalities and kind of sometimes when they set a thing and they're like, maybe I'll go yeah. for it. So it's, it's a nice way of kind of like helping to uh, design adventures as well because you can keep in mind what vices and, and virtues because virtues aren't necessarily always going to be positive. You could be really, really helpful. And even though you know you need to go off and do this other thing, you see some old lady crossing the street and you kind of get that urge to stop and help. And it might kind of delay you from something that's arguably more important in the long run, but your character just kind of can't really resist those impulses. So it's something to kind of help GMs kind of build adventures to to help keep their players like interacted with the world itself. Cool. I want to go back to your uh, character classes briefly here. I'm just looking at your guys' Kickstarter preview page, and I I really like how you have, like, the classes are all kind of, they all fit those broad kind of fancy archetypes, but they're constructed a lot differently than you see in kind of your standard fantasy thing. I think you're doing a really good job with what you were saying, like trying to kind of have an alternate take on fantasy that's not the kind of classic, you know, rogue fighter mage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and, and with the classes, we, we wanted to make sure that they all felt just as expansive as the races did. So that you, when you look at a class, it isn't necessarily just going to be one thing. It's an, an entire sort of profession to a certain extent. It's something that's kind of like been built up over decades or in some cases centuries of different people having different takes on the class and kind of building it up into a bunch of different ways. Cool. So how is uh, character creation, like, how does it how does it work? How is it different from, from other RPGs? So um, there are similarities. You you pick a, a race and a class, and in when you pick your class, you can kind of pick different sort of paths that your character is essentially focusing on for that class, the different kind of, like, aspects of the class that your character kind of wants to focus on more heavily. Um, aside from that, it's largely more... Um, point placement for the early level if you're just building off of level one it's usually fairly quick in that you just you know you have this many points to kind of put into these things and you can kind of slip them around and build your character how you want uh beyond level one 
we actually have a experience purchase system. So as you accrue experience, you can spend it on different things. So you can kind of build your character how you want. If you want to focus on just talents or just saves or just this one aspect of your character, you can do so. So you can have a, a level character who's like really, really knowledgeable about about like all these different things, but really isn't necessarily incredibly great at, say, combat. Because we wanted it to kind of be adaptable so that you could have, you, you could build your character exactly how you want for the campaign that you're running. If you wanted to do a really kind of heavily combat focused campaign and like combat is what your characters want all the time, you can do that. And if you wanted more of a, a social kind of uh, intrigue based campaign, you can also kind of go into that direction. So we wanted to make sure that it was kind of flexible and what you might want to use it for. Okay, so you've got a wide variety of skills and abilities and stuff so that, like you said, if you're in a campaign that's more social intrigue, you don't have to worry about kind of being bogged down by a bunch of skills that you were forced to put points into because of your class. And instead, you can be the best at talking to people and, and intrigue and lying and deceiving and getting your way when you're when you're talking to various folks. Yeah. So we, we kind of wanted to make sure that you you could build your character how you want it. That's really cool. That's one of the things that does kind of bug me about 5th edition is that it does have some skills for doing social combat, I guess is the best way of putting it, mm-hmm. with like deceiving and persuading and performance and stuff like that. But when it comes to building a character, if you're not building somebody who's got some skills in combat, there kind of isn't there actually isn't a way to build somebody who doesn't do combat at least better than the average person because mm-hmm. D you're kind of meant to be going out and fighting stuff whereas a game like this i think would be really interesting for people who have been playing for a while like it sounds like there's tons in here for people of all skill levels but it definitely sounds like there's stuff in here that would interest people who have played enough D that they're tired of only ever fighting their way out of situations and instead want to spend some time actually talking the guards down or talking their way out of prison or out of a sticky situation or wherever they find themselves. Yeah, and in that sort of vein, we actually wanted to have social encounters be an active option, an active part of the game, so that if you wanted to handle a situation without kind of just immediately pulling out your swords and kind of murder-hobering your like way around through the city, you could do so. And for that reason, we actually kind of wanted to do away with more social talents that kind of came down to strictly a role. So we didn't want to have sort of a a diplomacy talent where you could just roll a dice and suddenly kind of convince someone of something. We wanted it to be more active and actually based off of what the players were role playing. So if you're actually if you're someone the character hates, it could become a much more difficult essentially social combat than it would otherwise because they they have like predispositions towards you or certain party members or even certain races. And we wanted to make sure that it was a lot more grounded in role play instead of just kind of dice rolls. Right. So what, what kind of levers are there for GMs to be able to, to handle these situations when they, for example, like you said, they, a character, a player has come up against somebody who just absolutely hates their character like what levers are there for a GM to be like, well, yeah, this is going to be more difficult this way. So we have a sort of meter system that essentially as the kind of conversation moves back and forth, the the meter kind of goes in certain directions. And essentially if it reaches certain points, 
those points are usually points where either the combat ends or in extreme cases, the or not the combat, but the, the um, social encounter ends. Or in extreme cases, the social encounter might kind of break out into an actual combat due to just the frustrations kind of building up between the the, people, the parties involved. Whereas if you kind of go in the other direction, you might kind of get reach points where they're a lot more receptive to doing what it is that you're actually kind of trying to get out of them. And in more extreme cases in that direction where they essentially kind of give more than they necessarily would have otherwise because they actually believe whatever sort of argument you're making towards them. And with the, the, the meter system, it largely kind of comes into a lot of those early kind of prior prior aspects, sort of like whether those they have a disposition where they dislike you or hate you due to prior experiences. That would kind of essentially place the meter's start point at different areas. So it kind of becomes a lot easier or harder depending on how you've previously interacted with them. I like the sound of that a lot because there's a, in, in D&D, one of the hardest things ever is to like, if your player rolls a natural 20 or whatever, and they're trying to convince somebody who hates them of something, it's always difficult to be like, well, this person hates you. It doesn't matter how convincing you are necessarily. I like the idea that there's a push and a, a pull in the conversation that can get you to that point eventually, but not yeah. immediately. And we, we do have um, some talents that are more social geared, like uh, subterfuge to kind of like lie to people. But even then, it isn't... It isn't designed to the point where if you just make that one roll, the conversation is kind of over. We wanted to make sure it felt like you're actually having a real conversation with a real person. And as it progresses, you kind of work towards the goal and like kind of lay out your points and role play what it is you want from them and basically make sure that the characters are kind of staying engaged with the conversation instead of just rolling and like I, I rolled really well so this is what happens or I rolled really poorly so we're kind of done here and trying to find like other ways around that right so one thing that I'm especially curious about after hearing all this like the way that social combats or uh, social encounters and all of that can go is like what are the steps for a GM to create an encounter, whether it's like if it's if combat and social are, are similar and if they're not, because one of the things that I found um, now that I've like, I, I haven't been DMing for a super long period of time, but I've done D&D, Star Wars, Eclipse phase and a couple of other systems. And I found now that when I pick up a new book for a new system, one of the first things I try to figure out is how do I create an encounter? Because in D&D, you practically require spreadsheets because you have to figure out challenge ratings and all this kind of stuff. And I end up just using tools online to take care of all of that for me. Yeah. Whereas in systems like Star Wars or Eclipse Phase, you can kind of just come up with a character name, figure out like what their main stat is and what what level that stat is at, and you're good to go. Like in, mm -hmm. in Eclipse phase, you just come up with a name or not maybe not even that. Like it's faceless goon number one yeah. and he's got he's got this in shooting and you're good to go. So uh, with, with social encounters, it's a lot more in that sort of um, vein of being fairly easy to kind of come up with on the fly because all you really need to do is get a general idea of essentially pick a vice and virtue to kind of make sure you know what kind of core traits are guiding that character. And then just kind of get a, a rough idea of who that character is so that you know what their goals are and what's necessarily going to be needed to convince them to do whatever it is you want them to do. 
Um, it isn't quite as simple for, for combat encounters. Uh, we try to make sure things are as simple as possible, but inevitably there are going to be, it isn't going to be quite as easy as just kind of coming up with like faceless goo number one and just kind of throwing it together. We do have a fairly large beast area to kind of grab stuff from, but essentially um, monster creation is roughly as at the same level as character creation. So it's not, it doesn't take an excessively long time. We can usually throw a monster together, and it, it kind of varies on, on what level you're using, but we wanted to make sure that it wasn't too difficult to jump into. As far as actually like building an encounter for like an on-level encounter for combat, it basically comes down to just choosing a few creatures and kind of plopping them in. We do have three different creature types, sort of. Uh, there's group creatures, solitary creatures, and pack creatures. Group creatures are essentially what most of the combat kind of boils down to being worked around since solitary creatures just count as three group creatures essentially while a pack creature counts as half a group creature and at that point it's just a matter of kind of making sure that there are one less group creature than there are players so if you're if you're running a game for only two players an on level encounter for them would just be considered one group creature that is of their level. Okay. Okay. So it's fairly straightforward. There's no having to worry about, like in in D&D with the CR levels, like, well, if you've got so many players, you've actually got to do a bunch of extra math because it changes how the CR is calculated. Like none of that. It's really just, you've got a fairly straightforward system. It might not be simple, but it's straightforward as to how you figure things out. Yeah. um, We we actually did play around with the CR system at first, just because like it, it's a system that's already there. So we kind of wanted to see if we can maybe just make use of it for our game, but it, we ended up finding that it just ended up not being quite as satisfying. So we ended up just um, kind of tweaking it and changing it for more of our needs. Right. Okay. I mean, Makes sense. The, I mean, half the time when I'm running stuff, I ignore the CR and D&D anyway. And like, I, I like the idea of a very straightforward system when it comes to the monsters that already exist, at least where I can be like, okay, my players are all level two. I've got four of them. I need three monsters. Do I want to make it very difficult? Yeah. Add another monster. Cool. Um, so uh, we've been talking about lots of the mechanics and stuff of Endless Realms. How far along in development are you guys? Uh, so we're pretty much done the core book and the bestiary. Christy and Dan kind of came up with the game four years ago, so they've been at it for a fairly long time to try and make sure everything's everything's good and ready to go. And I kind of started working on it, uh, actually originally as a game tester about two and a half years ago. And since then we've kind of been constantly polishing and polishing and polishing the system so that we actually know it's, it's ready to go and it's actually a fun game. So we're at this point, we've kind of gotten to the point where the core book and the bestiary are pretty much ready to print. So everything is is pretty much ready and set to go. Uh, all we're really going to Kickstarter for is uh, printing costs for the books. That's very cool. I've I've kickstarted a couple of games now. Like I kickstarted Paranoia. I kickstarted the second edition of Eclipse Phase. And in those cases, the Kickstarter was we're kind of halfway there. We want to be able to focus on this full time, but knowing that you guys are basically just need to get the book printed mm-hmm. is that's pretty big from, from what I've seen so far on Kickstarter for, for new RPGs. Yeah. Well, because it can be kind of difficult to, to dive into it and, and Kirsty and Dan have like been 
completely working through this for the, the entire four years to kind of make sure that they weren't just diving into something they couldn't really handle. We wanted to make sure overall that when we kind of showed this to people, it wasn't just, oh, oh yeah, you're, you're going to Kickstarter, cool. Maybe it'll work out, maybe it won't, no one really knows. We wanted to make sure that we had like a, a finished product that we could actually go around and show people and take to conventions and have people play games and show that this is the total book. This is like everything that's going to be in there. You can read through it now. We wanted people to know that the game is ready to go and that they they didn't really have to worry about it taking maybe a year or two years or three years before they actually got the final product because we wanted to make sure that it was it was good to go. Yeah, that's really cool. So circling back around to the game itself for a second, one of the things that I've noticed with with the different game systems is that they're all, you can usually tweak and twist a game so that it'll fit whatever kind of story you want to tell. But there's usually a specific type of story that works better with that game system. Like with D&D, it's usually high fantasy, especially once you get past, like, once you get past level seven, you tend to be fairly powerful people in a world of average folks. Whereas, you know, like Star Wars is science fantasy, like very much like the movies. And Eclipse Phase is a little bit more sci-fi horror type stories. What kind of stories and adventures is Endless Realms well-suited to telling? Uh, so uh, the, the setting we kind of start off are currently focusing on for a lot of our adventures and campaign is high fantasy. We did want to make it feel a bit more like magic items were rarer and like something that were less commonly seen. But as far as the world itself goes, magic is a part of the world itself with spirits so present in everyone's lives. It's something that everyone knows about and it's a very kind of fantastical world. We actually have kind of talked to to other play um other people at conventions, basically fans that kind of came up and talked about whether they could adapt it for other purposes and and we have been like looking at future prospects for what other sort of settings we could do and play with but as far as everything currently goes it's very much a sort of high fantasy kind of game okay cool yeah there's always a lot you can do within a high fantasy too i think especially with the fact that you've built it so it can be either combat heavy or it can be very social heavy or it can be a mix of both that i think lends to a kind of a variety of kind of subgenre within high fantasy that I, I'm actually really excited to try out. Yeah, um, I mean we've we've had a lot of fun um, playtesting everything, and I I'd, I'd really like to hear more people's feedback. So um, when you uh, ever have the time to kind of, well, assuming the Kickstarter goes well and we we launch, uh, if you ever have the time to play it, uh, feel free to toss us some feedback about how kind of everything plays out we'll do that for sure so what are some of the rewards that are going to be available for the kickstarter other than the like you know standard handbook and all that kind of stuff so yeah, we we do have the uh, the standard pledge levels to to get digital copies or hard copies of the uh, core rulebook and the compendium beyond that we also have we've been working on making a a world map for the entire the entire world of loomis which is where much of the original much of the initial um adventures and campaigns are going to take place in it's the world where you all these races are kind of kind of coming combining kind of coming into conflict with each other along with the world map we've also got a digital art book basically showing a bunch of the the sketches that the artist for the game um jennifer elliott kind of went through as she designed various things as she kind of like brought various sketches to the the art director who's kirsty 
showing her like where she currently had what 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 ideas she had as she was building and designing certain things, and then what feedback Christy gave her to kind of design those races and monsters into the the end product that you actually see in the book. So it kind of goes in pretty in depth into the art of the uh, the whole game. Beyond that, we've also got a short storybook planned that we are kind of hoping to kind of fill with a bunch of stories that show you the world itself, the, the how the races kind of interact with each other, how they how they view the world and kind of give people an idea of of the world and the people within it. At the behest of one of the um, people in the Facebook group, Christy uh, actually decided to go forward with working on a classical Dengu poetry book. Uh, the Dengu are one of the races in the, the game. They're sort of like a small mole people who really like shiny objects. Not necessarily gold and other trinkets, but basically anything that has anything that's really lustrous, they just really, really enjoy. So um, she, they're basically her favorite race. And uh, when other people reacted really positively to them, she kind of went ahead and decided that uh, she wanted an entire poetry book written um, from the perspective of Dengus. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds great. They actually um, started as a bestiary race, but... Uh, Kirsty, being the CEO of the company, uh, decided she loved them so much that they were going to become a player race. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Uh, when exactly does the does this all go live? When do you press launch on the Kickstarter? Uh, that's going to be April twenty fourth at eight a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Okay. Uh, before we wrap up here, Sherman, is there anything else you want to tell us about Endless Realms? Uh, I think that kind of covers uh, a lot of the the high points of the the game system and and the world itself. So mm-hmm. I think that. Pretty much most of it. All right. Cool. Before we go, one last question. Now that you've been part of doing a brand new RPG and doing a Kickstarter, if you could go back to before you started doing all this, what's the one thing that you would tell yourself to to keep in mind or one lesson that you'd like to go back and teach yourself before you started all this? Oh, uh, I, I, uh, I don't know. Um, I think... I just kind of wish I could have given like myself a lot of a lot of tips on on just how to design different things because a lot of the time I'll be like, oh, this is a great idea, Kirsty, can I do this? And she'll be like, yeah, that sounds great. That's, I'm not the one working on it, and then I I start going down that direction and realize that it's while it is a great idea, it's just incredibly time consuming to design for. Right. So a lot of the time I just kind of make my own workload a lot harder and i feel like if i could have given myself a few tips to kind of cut down on a lot of uh just the wonky little uh side branches ideas i had that might have might have made my job like a little bit easier <laughs> all right sherman thank you so much for talking to us we are looking forward to the kickstarter going live and i'm i'm definitely going to be backing it uh, thanks for having me hey no problem have a good night and uh Thanks again for talking. Thanks. Uh, Hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Yeah, you too. Talk to you later. Bye. Goodbye. Our art is done by that very talented and wonderful Haley Boros. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at DMs of Vancouver. You can find me at at Jesse the Red on Twitter. And you can find Sean at Sean P. Hagen on Twitter. Yep. 
And we've got a Patreon, patreon.com slash DMs of Vancouver. You can get access to episodes a week early, and we occasionally have bonus audio for you guys to listen to. And all the money goes towards making this podcast as awesome as possible. Yeah, I believe the plan is to save up to buy a better rig yep. eventually, Sean. Yep. Excellent. Always excited for that. You can find our show on iTunes and Google Play and any podcatcher that pulls podcasts from those two. Uh, if you like the show, please give us a review and give us a rating. We'd really appreciate it. Yep. Have a great night. Have a great night. Roll for initiative! <laughs>